that is a very scary situation, especially at a young age to retire. I retired at 38 years old. Yeah, that's a scary situation. Is that my final hurrah at such a young age? It's also the realization that, sure, I could buy a lot of things, but those things, those materials didn't make me happy. They didn't fill that void. Can a simple hike open the door to profound insights and life-changing conversations? Welcome to Seek Go Create, where we explore this intriguing idea with Darren Mass, a former CEO turned business therapist who finds clarity and connection on the trails with the world's leading business achievers. Darren's story is a roller coaster of ambition, success, and introspection. After selling his company, Mass Communications, for $40 million, Darren found himself grappling with a sense of loss and confusion. It was a hike that transformed his perspective and led to the creation of his podcast, I Took a Hike. I've been power listening, great podcast, where he shares in-depth conversations with top entrepreneurs amidst nature's backdrop. Darren, welcome to Seat Go Create. Thank you. And I definitely did not script that, and I could not have said it better. So, well done. <laughs> welcome. It's good to have you, Darren. I'm excited about this conversation. I stumbled upon you on LinkedIn, and I said, this is a guy we're either related or cousins or need to be or whatever. And so we're going to have a fun conversation all about redefining success here. But before I dive into things, let's pretend or not really that we just bumped into each other. I ask you what you do. What do you tell people when they ask, what do you do? I help business owners crawl out from the rock that they fell on. Do, do you so. like that question? Do you hate the question sometimes as much as I do? Um. So I was part of a networking group a while back during COVID when we all needed some help. And the purpose of the networking group is to never ask, what do you do? Why? Because not to crap all over lawyers, but if you tell me you're a lawyer, I'm thinking probably one of a few things, right? But that means I'm not thinking about your, you as a person. And that's when all of this clicked with me that it doesn't matter what you do. You as a person is more important. So yes, I do not like that question as the opener. It naturally comes out because that's our default bias. We always want to categorize and lump people into things. So yeah, if you're a lawyer, here's your bucket. If you're a doctor, here's your bucket. If you hike for a living and share inspiration with all the listeners on a podcast, you don't have a bucket. You're somewhere in the kooky category. So there I am in the kooky category. I think some of us are getting to a place where we tried to be in the bucket for many years. And now we've spent a period of time, years, whatever, trying to be outside the bucket. It sounds like that's a good bit of what your journey's been, correct? Yeah, I think this stems from, yep, I'm the tail end of Generation X, the X Gen, maybe arguably some millennial I was born in May of 1980. My people didn't want to be like their parents. We didn't want to live in that house, go to work in the morning, come home, eat dinner, wake up, go to work and repeat, repeat, repeat. So we've all had this really strong sense of work ethic, right? We do. We went to work. We worked hard. We climbed that corporate ladder. We sought after the jobs we wanted, right? We earned it. But then when we became parents, we started realizing that, wait, I'm my dad or I'm my mom. And we started seeking something different, right? We seek, we go, and we create it. There you go, for you. But that is, is very, very much my mission, as well as many others. And I think we are all collectively finding unique ways to earn a living, earn a keep, but more important, find balance to enjoying our lives. Because I'm not going to say that my parents don't enjoy their life. They do now in retirement in Florida, but they didn't enjoy their life. Granted, if I ask them, the question, do you enjoy your life at 45? They would have said, sure. But I didn't witness that. I didn't witness the social nights out or the friend hangouts or the parties or the work celebrations. I witnessed my dad just getting through life. And that is something that I didn't want to be. And many people like you and I have found a, a good trajectory to not be like that. 
So what's interesting is that you say you're on the tail end of that, I guess that generation X. I'm on the tail end of the baby boomer. So it's almost like we're this odd tail end of two generations that I I ended up going down the path, even though I didn't want to. Sounds like you did a little bit too. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But yet I didn't want to. And I don't know if I didn't know how to get out or if I just didn't know what I didn't know. But I do think it's part of a journey. And it seems like all of our stories, this is what we talk about here, is almost every situation is a journey. But I want to go into that. But real quick, a bigger question, because now you're working with people. You call yourself a business therapist, which we're going to talk about that in just a second. But, But can people get outside of the bucket on their own? Or does there have to be some kind of event or external thing happen or some kind of come to Jesus or whatever you want to call it that forces that? Because I know yours, we'll talk about it some, is it was a transition from being a CEO, going through an exit. Mine was 2008, the downturn. Those were external things that we may have known about, may not, but can we lead people down that path as an executive coach and a business therapist without having to go through a bunch of crap? So broad generalization with everything we're saying, right? Of course, there are individuals that were born into entrepreneurship. I feel like I was born into entrepreneurship. My grandfather was an entrepreneur. My father had a moment. My uncles have moments. So I think you're born into it. That spark does happen naturally. But for many, right, at the risk of generalizing, for many, you do need that existential wake-up call, that life-changing wake-up call, whether or not, you know, it was a health scare that made you realize, oh my God, what am I doing here? Or a nudge from a a caring party or a loved one. I think we are programmed to go to school at an early age. We are programmed to obey authority and listen to our elders, all well and good, all right. But that programming for many does create this robotic life, does create the going to work and coming home. And that's the purpose of life until you have children and a wake up call. As a father, what was I doing? I was working really hard, but then I became a father and now I'm working really hard for this purpose taking care and supporting my family, mothers, taking care and supporting family, going to work to support a family, right? We have this meaning. I think there is that click though, and it's usually a life-changing event. For me, I've had multiple clicks in my life. I've had bouts of depression, like many. I've had lots of those existential conversations in my brain saying, what am I doing? What is this purpose? Why am I doing this? Many can relate to that. And I think it's that style thinking and those types of events that build greatness, great character, and these purposeful events. You mentioned that you kind of have genetically wired entrepreneur in, in your blood. I think that I do too. It's interesting, you kind of skipped a generation, but I was wanting to hustle, do business, make me some money, you know, right early on. But then something wanted me to go to college, get that education. And then I had a company in college and then I went to work corporate for nine years before I was able to bust away from that. Safety. Talk about- You you went to the safety aspect of things. Safety, just got married, stuff like that. You think you need to do money, but it's interesting. I think you posted something and- I, I don't even know if I still have it pulled up here. I do post you a lot. Some, I post at least six days a week. Yeah, you do a LinkedIn. You're, p- people need to check you out on LinkedIn. I enjoy it. That's what a, what part drew me to it. I think you put a picture of you up back when you were a kid, uh, the earring, the buzz head, all that kind of stuff. You wanted to be a rock and roll yeah, drummer. Yearbook but state, yeah, yeah, I am not going to be putting up my yearbook photo because there was a lot of hair there and there was a lot of hairspray with it, <laughs> a lot more hair than you had. Shows it shows the difference in well, the generation. You say you right? were boomers, so yes. <laughs> Sometimes here's what you said here. Sometimes we spend chasing something we want. You put that in quotes, only to find out it isn't the thing we need. Is it? Doesn't that appear? That's what most people are doing, or not even yeah. want. 
they think it's what they want or they think it's what they should want might be a, a something there. So talk about that. Yeah, that's marketing at its finest, self-marketing and ex external marketing. We want these things and we set goals to achieve them. We want to drive a Ferrari, so we work really hard to earn the money for a Ferrari. Then we get a Ferrari and we spend our lives obsessing over the dent or the scratch we just got on a Ferrari, right? What I mean by that is when we achieve the thing we wanted, we find out it didn't solve or fill the void that was missing all along. We're not happy with ourselves. It's the reason why the most prescribed drugs on the planet are anti-depression drugs. It's because we're depressed on our wanting journey. My message is all about, and granted, it did take me a lot of wanting, achieving, and reflection to discover this, but my message is really about when you achieve the want, it didn't fix the void. So stop wanting and wishing our lives away and start celebrating and living in the moments. Now, granted, I don't always practice what I preach, right? I talk about being present and in the moment. Be there for your children because that is the only generational wealth that matters. I'm not talking about money. I posted something on this the other day. Generational wealth is misunderstood. If I leave my kids $100 million without rules and guidance or trust and a map, I just screwed them up for generations to come. They become lazy, complacent. They're pieces of garbage. No offense to anyone who's a piece of garbage. But if I set them up with education, knowledge, we help work on their personality to become likable, charismatic people that like to help others, good, strong work ethic, a drive, I've set them up with as much wealth as they want to achieve in their life, not a handout. And I tell this to my kids and all the time. I might not leave you money, but I will leave you with a future. That's more important. Now, when I say I'm a little bit of a hypocrite, I talk about being present. I catch myself all the time like this. My kids are around and I'm like, hold on, I'm posting. I catch myself though. That's the important part, the realization when you're violating the thing that you shouldn't be violating. So I do have to tell myself, because I'm human, put the phone down, the comment can wait, be present, be there for your child. But it's the catch that we need. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, there's gosh, two thoughts popped in my mind as you were talking there. One was, you know, that, that want that you mentioned versus what we need. And I went back to a conversation we were, uh, my wife and I were with our grown son in Vegas not too long ago. And we were sitting there having lunch and it was, they were actually prepping. They were about to have the Formula One race there. So I thought that yeah. was cool, but I made a comment to them that I think I love the thought of Vegas more than the yeah. actual application of Vegas. <laughs> I don't know if you know what I mean by that. It's like Vegas seems like it should be so cool. But yet I'm there and I'm kind of going, and I think there's a lot of things like that in life. I think we love the thought of some yeah. things, but then when we actually apply them or try and we realize maybe that was somebody else's dream or somebody else's goal or something that we thought you mentioned marketing. I think we are so susceptible to being swayed and influenced and listen, I do marketing, you're a business guy, you've done marketing. So we may be part of the problem, but maybe at least talking about it will help people overcome it. But then the second thing you mentioned, which is related, are these devices that we're on. And you are, you're of the age to remember before, barely before internet. I'm definitely of the age to remember, but how challenging is this conversation we're having with all of the access we have to information and the notifications and the comments and the you're very active on LinkedIn. We're active on a few channels and things. How challenging is it? And how tough is it when we're trying to convey that to our children? You've got three girls and I've got grown children. It is seemingly impossible. So I was alive. I was born in 1980. I didn't have a computer until 1998, my first year in college. I worked hard to buy it. And I remember it well. It, life seemed simpler back then. But I think in retrospect, when you do reflect and nostalgia, it always seems simpler, right? I love being so connected. I genuinely love 
LinkedIn. I, I'm, I'm a staunch believer in the power of networking for business always. I'm not a fan of other social media. Yes, I do it, but I delegate those tasks away because I don't love that. So I let other people handle that side. But when it comes to LinkedIn, that is the new style of networking. That is your storefront. That is your banner. That is your awning. That is how you attract your brand. I do it because for me, it's therapeutic. I don't have a call to action. If you like me, sure, follow me. Cool. If you like the message, comment, share. Cool. If you don't, leave a comment. Cool. Ignore me. Awesome. I'm doing it for me. But by doing it for me, I'm aligning with other people that can relate to me. I will say that life is more complex because of it. It does require me to be glued to a device. I spend no less than two hours a day collectively on LinkedIn. It is a lot, but it's because I enjoy it. And really, you shouldn't do anything you don't enjoy doing with exceptions. Growing a business, somebody's got to work all those jobs you don't want to do at first. Do them. Learn your experience. But eventually, hire and delegate that away. For me, if I love LinkedIn, that's my medicine. That's what I will do. If you don't love LinkedIn, hire somebody to do it if you're growing a business. Let someone else manage it, but don't neglect it. But yeah, that device, it's tough to deal with. And now I see the problem with my kids having these devices. The one thing they don't have, though, is they won't have phones for a while. Good parent, bad parent. One thing I've learned also, don't tell people how to parent. There's no right answer. You're going to screw your kids up regardless. But I will not be getting them the iPhone. I'll be getting them when they turn 10, some device that will allow them to communicate with me, their friends, right? A safer device. I don't want them on social media the way that the world has been on social media. There's lots of negative. Now, can I block them from everything? No, they're kids. They'll sneak out of the house. Great. I'll celebrate that. But it, the best I can do to keep them out of the challenges of today, I'm going to try to do that. Don't practice what I preach or do something like that. Let's take a short break. I've got a question for you. Are you feeling overwhelmed by challenges in your leadership role? This is Tim Winders from Seat Go Create, and I understand how tough it can be. As an executive coach, I've guided numerous leaders through their toughest moments. Whether it's navigating team dynamics, strategic decision-making, or personal growth, I'm here to help you overcome these hurdles. My clients have broken through barriers they once thought impossible, and you can too. Don't let challenges hold you back. Visit timwinders.com forward slash coaching and book a free discovery coaching call with me directly on my calendar. That's timwinders.com forward slash coaching. Together, we'll forge a path to greater success and satisfaction. Now, back to Seek Go Create. Well, I, I think that part of it, and I, you went down a path. I was about to ask the question. I'm glad you let us know. I'm assuming Sorry, my ADHD girls, takes me on multiple paths sometimes. I think we're tracking because you answered the question I was about to ask. So we're either something's going on here, which is nice. But one of the things I was going to ask the ages of your children, and I've already I met Coraline because I listened in on a podcast episode where you took a hike with her. So uh, she was she was four at the time. I don't know if she's still that age. And then it sounds like you've got almost 10 year olds. And and I guess the question I was going to ask, which you sort of asked, I'll answer it. I'll, I'll kind of address it here is, is how do we, how do we convey that there needs to be a certain degree of maturity to deal with these things? And I do want to say this at times, I'm not sure that I have the maturity or a lot of what we would call adults have the maturity with these tools that we have. So I do want to say it's not necessarily an age thing. H how do you convey that? And this is not a how to parent. This is almost how to communicate what type of information you need to have access to. Yeah. So it is an age thing, actually, because adults are far worse than children because we always hide behind the I'm the adult. I, as a business therapist, I coach a lot of partnerships and I see a lot of fighting like children. And it is, comical to me because granted kids don't always listen to their parents but eventually you can connect with them 
take that for what it's worth. But hey, we don't, we're not the best representation sometimes, but what success should be. Um, when it comes to parenting, I get it wrong all the time. And I celebrate that because I try to do things differently than my parents did. My parents were strict. At the time, growing up, my dad's favorite sport was yelling. Um, you know, I'd walk into a room. He would tell me to shut up before I even said anything. Now he's the happiest, greatest person on earth. I don't even recognize him. It's fantastic. But I turned out all right. I like the person. I love the person I am. I love that I turned out that way. So I try to learn from those lessons. I yell at my kids too much. We all do. But I catch myself now. And now when I think I'm about to yell, I don't. I take my deep breath because that's what I tell people. Take your box breathing in for four, hold it for four, out for four until your heartbeat lines up with your breathing. I do that all the time. I walk away now. It's really just trying to be a better parent, but I'm going to screw it up to some level. So if I do yell at my kids, which over the past few months has been infrequent since I've been very, I've been in a happy place and enjoying life far more than ever before. I will actually sit down with them and say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have yelled at you. And I try to talk to them like they're adults because Tim, if you and I were having a conversation, I yelled at you, you'd probably try to put me in my place, right? Or get me to stop yelling at you as an adult. Or in reality, I wouldn't yell at you. So why is it okay for me to yell at my children? It's again, it's a self-reflection that I'm screwing this up. And as parents, we're the hardest on ourselves because we don't always practice what we preach. And we do revert back to that parental unit that we had in the teachings. It, it's all just about being human. And I think today, kids are more advanced than ever before. My kids do have iPads. They are far smarter than I was at their age. I was watching Sesame Street at six and they're watching YouTube. And they're telling me about science experiments and how NaCl is sodium chloride. Six years old, I'm like, A, B, C, right? So I don't punish technology. I don't prevent them from having technology, but I try my best to police with technology. And that goes back to the phone situation. They have the iPad and they'll eventually have a communication device. Do I want them to be like me, always on the phone like this? Absolutely not. That's what I'm policing and parenting against. They're going to see all the negative. They're going to see that life can be an ugly, sad place. Or I can coach them into turning that ugliness off. I'll allow myself to wander in an ADHD moment for a second. 120 days ago, and I'm posting about this, I think, next week. 120 days ago, I turned off the news completely. I don't watch the news. No one ever wins with the news. I did that. Right. I did that. Ni I did that 90 days ago. I did it October right. 1st. So October 1st, I turned off the news and it was very, it's fascinating what's gone on with me mental, but go ahead. You tell me what's going on with you, but I think this could be extremely valuable to someone listening in. So I am happier. I don't engage in negative thoughts as much or as frequently anymore. The world is seemingly totally within my control. I am not peppered with constant negative feedback and marketing because the realization is the news is there to heighten your one emotion that will get you glued. Fear. Fear is our oldest emotion and it is what keeps us glued and focused. Running away from the bear, hearing the bear, hearing the lion, smelling the lion, that's what keeps our attention. And that is what the news is there for, to sell advertising. So I turned it off. I'm not an idiot. I know what's going on in the world. I know the world's affairs, but I am not constantly seeing the negative because I came to this realization 120 years ago that we actually live in the best time ever in humanity. You don't think so? Okay, I'm going to prove it to you. In the 1600s, if I cursed somebody in the royal family, I would lose my tongue. If I stole a loaf of bread from my starving family, I would lose my hand. If I cheated on my wife, I would lose my... If I told the king that he should die, I would lose my life. I would be threatened by the rack, the wheel, the pear, the gauntlet, anything that would torture me, a brazen bull, I'd be set on fire or hung at a noose. I don't have to worry about that, especially as an American. I can tell you I like you, I don't like you. I can say our president is great, I can say our president sucks. There's a limit to the amount of freedom, of course, 
but I don't have to fear losing my life and I have freedoms. This is the best time ever. It is not the best time for everyone in their personal situation, but when you collectively look at the fact that we are alive and we can do whatever we want, it's a pretty damn great time. So why would I allow some squawk box to tell me that it's not the best time to harm my personality and my future and my needs, wants, and desires. I just turned it off. That's the power I have. And I've been really happy since. Yeah, it's amazing to me. Were you, would you consider yourself addicted to information and news prior to that? I'm a huge nerd. I love information. I love news. Um, I love the world events. I, let me put a D in there. I loved all that. I got sucked into it. I wanted to see how the world was gelling together or not. I wanted to feel like I could solve the problems, but I couldn't. I love information. When I was viewing TikTok all too frequently, which I also got rid of, when I was viewing it, I would, my feed was all this nerdy science stuff or chemistry stuff or hiking things. I just absorbed knowledge and I loved that. I love learning. But now since I've turned off the negative, I've only focused on the positive. I've been able to learn more about our positive brain, our positive mentality. I've been able to do more. I've been able to hike more. I've been able to write more. My vision has become clearer. And I know this all sounds kooky because guess what? It is. But I'm choosing the way that I want to feel every day. And whenever asked, I don't mean to rub it in, but it sometimes sounds like that. My friends ask me all the time, how am I doing? And I say, I'm living the best day of my life every single day. And then I hear some other people say, oh, today I'm miserable. Okay. Misery is a choice. So is positivity. Sounds kooky, but it's a choice. People don't realize they choose to be miserable. Yeah. There's real circumstances and situations that cause us to be miserable. Yeah. Life experiences cause us to be miserable. But you can turn certain things off. I'm not telling you to turn off the fact that, you know, cousin Jimmy just passed away suddenly. Yeah, be sad about that. Be human, of course. But in a few weeks, you should mourn and move on and not dwell and celebrate the fact that cousin Jimmy's not here and maybe he should be here, but he's not. So let's move on. He would want us to move forward. Sorry, cousin Jimmy. I didn't mean to be insensitive. Yeah, the neat thing about that is that I'm recognizing it's very similar. I feel like I'm looking in a mirror hearing my voice because I was trying to convince myself that I needed all this information for what I did for my business or for financial decisions or for business decisions for the executive coaching that I do probably just to be able to communicate and converse with people. Sounds like you found the same thing. No, I don't. I don't need that. In fact, I think it was jading my mind a little bit and I'm older than you are. I, we would have hoped we would have figured this out sooner, but I was looking at the world through a lens that was clouded by what other people wanted me to think about it. Yeah. Media, we can call it news. You actually alluded to this. It's really more media in that they're selling something and they have to keep us attached to it and things like that. We don't really have pure news much anymore. I, I think it's been phenomenal. And I, I actually am on a similar path, more creativity, writing more. I enjoy my conversations more. I have less cynicism. Darren, I That's was right. finding myself being more cynical. You look at the political structure and you just, I don't care what side you're on. You just like, oh man, this is a mess. We got troubles. So anyway, that, that's cool. So that was a sidebar. Didn't really plan that, but I think that could be some of the most valuable things that we mentioned to folks is cut some stuff out, get rid of it. Yep. I, I want to shift a little bit here. And I want to go back a little bit to talk about your, what we'll call your journey, your success story. And a few sure. highlights here, and I think you listed this out on a post. You, you had achieved so much, started a company, scaled it to over 50 employees, got acquired by a Fortune 500 company, but you had this deep, dark feeling of irrelevance. And I guess talk more about kind of what led up to that? Because obviously you had a pretty good run, I'm guessing, if you scaled a company, sold it. And were you feeling good about yourself during that time? Or did you have any clues that you didn't have it all together <laughs> before then? Yeah. So I started the business because I always knew I wanted to start a business. That was always my thing. I learned from my grandfather. I went to university. 
I had a job, an internship. I stayed at that company for multiple years. I learned as much as I could. I, I used that job as the best education I have ever had, right? I learned how to be an adult, a professional, how corporate structure works. I learned the ins and outs of being a business person in that sense. And then one day I had my insane entrepreneurial cliched spark in the middle of the night and said, aha. And I had my business name and I had my, my motto and I just ran with it, created a really quick business plan, went into the office the next day. I told my boss, Hey, I'll give you six months and I'm out. And his exact words, if I may, I'll say his exact words, sorry for the profanity. He said, it's about fucking time, kid. Because they always heard me say that one day I'm going to own my business. And that to me is, was a great example of what a great leader and a mentor should do. He could have convinced me to stay or tried, but he knew there was no use. He even said, I'm not even going to convince you. I know it's not going to work, right? He was telling me, I'm supportive. Here you go. Then a whole bunch of can'ts came because it was turning into 2008, horrible time to start a business. So people thought, and I heard the, you can't start a business in this economy. You can't, 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 can't. And I'm always a person that said, I'm going to prove you wrong. So I sought out to prove everyone wrong. Starting a business in tough economic times is a phenomenal idea. While you're at zero, your would be or should be competition is too worried about protecting their own assets. They're not paying attention to you. That allows you to creep up unnoticed. That also allows you to get the benefit of a bad economy. So what do I mean? I was in telecom. I needed to work with the world of Verizon and AT&T, these big monster companies. They would have never spoken to me in a great economy, but they did in a shitty economy. Anyway, fast forward, I loved that business. I loved working with people. I loved inspiring people. I loved being a leader. I loved doing all of the jobs and all the tasks that most people wouldn't love doing. It was never about making money. It was always about the freedom of doing what I loved and wanted to do predominantly. And then one day it started becoming about money. And that's when I was a little bit less excited. I was more excited about the want than the reality of what I was doing. And when I finally started realizing that the market is changing, the economy is changing, my risk tolerance is decreasing, my need, my insatiable need for more money was ever growing. That's when we decided to sell the business because I knew we were becoming detrimental to the growth. Sold the business mm -hmm. in 2018. I stayed on because I wasn't ready to call myself retired. I was an employee of the company. I was the president of uh, the company for about a year. Unfortunately, the company went into bankruptcy due to a lawsuit that they lost, not because of my company that they acquired and it predated us. But working in a bankrupt company was not fun, not exciting. And I looked at it as I don't have to do this and I'm not going to do anything that's not exciting to me. Took my exit and now it all sounds like poor rich guy. That's when I realized the thing that I always wanted, that, that money, that, that dream of everyone was not really that exciting. I started worrying about money and losing it more than ever before because I wasn't making the same income anymore. I wasn't replacing what I was spending. So that really weighs on you. I started realizing that I'm this retired dude that's picking up his kids and dropping them off at school and then hanging out with his wife all the time. Don't get me wrong. That could be fun until your wife tells you to go out and get a job because you're annoying as hell. So that I started getting depressed about it. And that's when I realized chasing money is not the answer. The reality of where you want to find your happiness. It's the intersection of chasing a lifestyle achievement. I correct people all the time. When you tell me you want to make a million dollars, okay, you are saying that you want to make a million dollars right now in this moment when you think a million dollars is a lot of money. But when you make a million dollars, you realize your lifestyle changed and it's no longer a lot of money. So some people will inspire you to reset the goal. Great. But you're resetting the goal to an inflection where you're upset and depressed about the fact you achieved your goal and it didn't bring you the joy or happiness or want and need that you needed or wanted. So what I tell you is set a goal. 
You want to have a van life or live in an RV or afford an RV? Boom. That's a real lifestyle goal. Work really hard, put in the effort, put in the, 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 the time to earn the ability to buy that RV. Then reset and reset and reset. Keep driving forward. Set up lifestyle goals. You want to own a company? Boom. Own a company. You want to, you want to have 50 employees? Work really hard to be able to afford 50 employees. Do it right. Make sure that you're growing a business properly. But set up goals. You want to surf every Friday afternoon and not go to the office? That's an easy one. Go out and surf. Do it. Set up a lifestyle because that will bring you more happiness than just wanting and setting goals for money and money alone. So yeah, I hit a really bad depression. COVID hit. It exacerbated that, that depression. I, like everyone else, was thought the world was going to end, although I did not wash my groceries. It wasn't that crazy. No offense to crazy people. But it did exacerbate the issue. That's when I went on a hike. My brother took me out. It clicked. I loved hiking. I took another hike with a friend where I told him I feel purposeless. I don't feel relevant anymore. I'm 40 years old. I'm fully retired. I don't need to work ever again. And the thing that I needed the most was feeling relevant, purpose. And my friend turned to me and he said, Darren, man, you're extremely relevant and stop tying relevancy to work. You're a great father. You're a good husband. Assuming I was a good husband. I think I am. You have all of this energy. Tie it into something that brings you passion where you can inspire others. And once I got back to my Jeep, that's where I took a hike came from. That's my relevancy. I'm no longer depressed about it. You don't make money from podcasting unless you're Joe Rogan. You make purpose. You make relevancy from podcasting. You align with people. You network with people. You know how rewarding it is to hear someone, if I'm in the center of town, hey, I heard your podcast. I really liked it. That to me is all the money I need. That's the currency purpose. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's nice. I want to talk about, I want to talk about the podcast shortly, but I want to back up a little bit because I'm trying to, I'm thinking of parallel paths here when we were going through your company journey, it seems like it was about a 10 year, 10 year journey. And if I'm doing my math correctly, help me out here about halfway into the company journey is when you had children. I don't know when you got married along the way there, but probably somewhere around there. There was about halfway in, and I guess I want to to kind of ask, was there any tension when all of a sudden it wasn't just about Darren and your wife and all of a sudden there were children involved? And I know you're, I think you're in New York, so you're in the city, so there's probably commutes involved and there's a lot of time involved with startup and things like that. Talk about the parallels between what was going on in your life at some point there, I may have the math, right. You can correct me if you need to. Yeah, it's pretty close. So we had the business exactly 10 years to the day. You put good out there, your luck circles. I started the business December 19th, 2007. We sold it. We were signed a stock purchase agreement on December 19th, 2017. Closed the deal in March. We didn't pick the last date. The company buying us did. So it's just put good out there and good comes back. Um, yeah, it was about the midway point. I got married in 2011. We started the business in 2007, first day in 2008. So yeah, midway point for kids. It was actually great. No tension. I did live in the city. So that commute was really a subway ride from downtown Manhattan to the Upper West Side. So about 40 minutes. My wife, Christy, she's amazing. She would take the kids out in their double stroller and push them to the train station, the subway station, and we would meet. There was no real tension there. The tension that I would have felt was more when we moved out of the city and became a suburbanite family. Uh, we moved to New Jersey. Um, yeah, my, the tension really came from the fact that my wife was no longer in this big city, couldn't take the stroller out and just walk around and feel that energy from New York. She was now stuck inside of a home with these twin kids. There was some tension there, of course, but I never had pressure from her. There was no pressure of we need more or you should do more until after I sold the business where she told me to get the hell out of the house and get a job. Um, 
But no, I do. We've always had this understanding from the day I met her. I met her when I started the business. We were three months in. We had no clients. I told her I was a CEO to sound cool, and it worked. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's a good story that she tells. She thought that I was this big-time CEO, and I was in debt. Um, but, but no, there was no tension. But We started off saying that, I don't need a girlfriend. I don't want a girlfriend. It was a little nicer than that, but it was understood that the business has to come first. If we're going to make a relationship work, then the business has to be in check. That balance that I've always been looking for, it was heavily balanced towards the business, which would have set my future up. But by having a very understanding person, I met the right person. She allowed me to not have to be so present for the relationship. So it worked out right person. I wouldn't say I had that much pressure from her ever, except to get out of the house. What's tougher, running a company that's got 50 employees or being the quote unquote head or father in a household with three young girls and your wife? Compare and contrast. So it, it does depend. Everyone's situation is unique. Me personally, I'm an engineer by trade. I believe in people, process, and product to steal that from Marcus Lemonis, but I believe in the process aspect mostly. So running a 50-person company is no different than a 100-person company. Very different than a five or 10-person company, but you grow your processes and you have management and structure and an org chart and then good leadership. You can take a day out of the office and you have lots of coverage and things won't break. Being a father is the hardest job on the planet. Being a mother is probably harder the expectations we put on ourselves to just not screw it up is constant and daunting. These little mutant children running around will not listen to you at all. doesn't matter that you know what you're talking about or you have inspirational uh, wisdom or ex experiential wisdom. They don't listen. That's frustrating to a rational adult. Those times where I am yelling at my kids, it feels like I'm the, the only way I can get them to stop running with scissors is to yell at them. So no, being a father is, there are moments where it just sucks, absolutely sucks. And that's where you have to bring yourself back to what's the purpose here. Tiny brain, lessen the conversation. You have to bring yourself to their level. And I've learned that too many times and I keep learning that. Yeah. Being a parent is every relate. I'm also, I'm a Georgia <laughs> Tech process. I'm a systems engineer, industrial and systems engineer from Georgia Tech. I think you're RIT. Right. And what's interesting is. There are many things in life that you can systematize. I am not sure that marriage and running children is something that is systemizable. I don't know if that's a word. I may have just made a word up there. Sure. the word. I understand. One of the you know what I mean. One of the reasons I was bringing that up is that our daughter, our grown daughter, has two daughters. And I was thinking that actually might be some you know good wisdom for our son-in-law, Hunter, who they are about to work on having their next child and they're looking like they're just cranking out the girls it looks like they're just having oh, having I, girls which is awesome. i don't know if there's actual it. statistics on that but yeah three girls for me i'm done i'm outnumbered they're not there yet but pretty soon they'll be teenagers and you will see me hiking a lot more i know there's a lot of uh, women out there that hate me for that comment but it's true it's going to be rough in my house All right well, if, if you want to say, on, in another time, I'll give you my advice for when all of a sudden the dating begins, that I had a daughter that had a, we had a couple rules that worked out real well. We'll share that in another time. But yeah, you could but, use yeah, the, I, uh, the I, wisdom from that. You're going to need some help there. All right, Darren. Yeah. So a lot of people get confused when they hear that someone did an exit, their bank account obviously is doing very well. But yet they feel irrelevant. They feel depressed. They're, they don't feel good about themselves. They can't equate that because there's a massive amount of people out there that think if they had a boost, if they just added one zero in their bank account, much less two, three, four, or five zeros in the bank account, that their life would be awesome. Before sure. we dive into the, I took a hike and I want to get some wisdom from the conversations you've been having there. I'd like to talk about money <laughs> because there are a lot of people that would say, why is this guy struggling if he just went through what most people in the world would love to go through? So talk more about that. 
I'm human. That's the answer. We're human. We always need, we want, right? It's the topic of a lot of this conversation. The reality is I grew up in a time where my dad would always say, you don't talk about money. And that is, that always perplexed me. Why? What's wrong with talking about money? Now it seems like every influencer on the planet talks about money and how much they make and how much they want to make. They're all miserable. Okay. Because when you do have an exit event, a successful event, or you win the lottery, negative things start to happen. One, if you're not reapplying yourself and working hard again to make more, generate more money, wealth, or profit, you start going backwards. That is a very scary situation, especially at a young age to retire. I retired at 38 years old. Yeah, that's a scary situation. Is that my final hurrah at such a young age? It's also the realization that, sure, I could buy a lot of things, but those things, those materials didn't make me happy. They didn't fill that void. The reality of money is it's a control mechanism to get you to want to do more for whatever you're doing, whether it's working for somebody or working with somebody. It's the government's way of controlling you, not conspiracy. That's how it is. You control the population by giving a drug. The money is the drug. You realize you get the drug. It doesn't fill the void. That's what it is. That's when you have to pivot and make purpose. That's when you have to do more with your life than just the drug. So for me, that was my, my experience. And it's a real experience. And I'm very honest with it. Now, if you're going to ask me, would I trade it in? Hell no. I like having a whole bunch of things I don't have to do. I don't have to worry about this or that because I had an exit event. But I earned the exit event by taking risks, working hard, and applying myself, doing things that many people would be afraid to do with their career or their success, taking those risks. You have absolutely heard this. We've all heard this. The lottery winner, it's a curse. There, is a, there was a show on Netflix about what happens when you win the lottery. Well, cousin Jimmy wants a handout, right? It's a curse when all of a sudden your lifestyle changes overnight because now all the things you couldn't afford you can didn't fix the problem. There was a Yale School of Management study on what exiting entrepreneurs should do. And the net result is the majority of exited CEOs, business owners, entrepreneurs should not spend a dime of their money, should not change their life, should not buy the boat, plane, train, automobile, or house for at least a year to allow yourself to stay normal, to keep your baseline of spending and lifestyle normalized. Because once you start spending, you start emptying that void or emptying that pool. And that's when the depression sets in. This is not abnormal. Unfortunately, that study was sent to me way too late, but I experienced it. So now I get to teach it to everyone else. Work hard, make money if that's what you want, but realize that's not going to solve your problems. It'll check off a whole bunch of don'ts, but anyone can make money. That's part of the other realization. I thought I would never be hired again. Well, I was right. No one was ever going to hire me again. I have too much experience for certain levels. I'm too expensive to hire. But for the bigger companies, I'm too inexperienced. So I'm right in the gap of not hireable, right? I'm not afraid to speak my mind and I don't need this job. That's what an employer thinks. That's scary for an employer. So I had to start a business therapy practice to help other business owners climb out from under that rock that they created. How do I do that? With experiential wisdom, knowledge, and teaching. Right, going through all the life cycles of a business or going through the same emotions that a business owner is going through to help them out. Purpose, yet again. I realized I could start another business and make more money. Everybody has the choice to make more money. Now, if you're sitting behind a desk, scratching your head and saying, I haven't gotten a raise in two years, okay, you're probably not going to get that raise if you don't ask for it or demonstrate the value of why you should get it. And if you don't like the answer because you were told, no, you can't have a raise, it is 100% within your control to apply for another job or start a business or even a side hustle. You can make more money. It's a resource. Anyone can make more. Could you make millions overnight? I wouldn't. 
and wouldn't try because it's a nightmare. Can you make a lot of money over a period of time putting in hard work and effort? Yeah. Yeah, you can. But hopefully you're hearing the message and you're starting a business or doing a side hustle or starting a new job because you love what you do. You have a clear vision. It brings you purpose and passion. Money will follow that. Guaranteed. Guaranteed that you will make a lot of money in your life if you're following purpose and passion and have a clear vision and follow a process and are a great person. Other people will want to work with you, alongside you. Forget about four. They work with you. And then they will help you hit your goals and you'll make money. Simple formula. Hey, Darren, you, I, you have answered this, but I want to ask this specific question. How would you define success today versus how did Darren define success in 2008 or 2002, three, when you came out of school or something like that? Just contrast 20 years or 15, 20 years ago versus today. I think you've answered it, but I'd like to, I'd like it to be concise, more concise here. So I asked this question on every episode of I Took a Hike. Are you successful and how do you define success? So somebody's been listening. So if you asked me in 2008, I would have given you the answer that I thought you wanted to hear. Success is tied to money. I'd be very wealthy. Today, my answer is one and only one answer. Success is balance. That's it. Balance between health, happiness, in my case, family, then wealth, right? Education. It's all about being that fulcrum, balance. Because I can tell you, if I'm working every single day and I'm never seeing my kids and I die the next day, I will be filled with regret right before that dying moment, just like the old man on his deathbed, right? But I can tell you, if I forego the work and I'm not making any money and I'm not generating enough to feed my family, I'm not balanced, I'm miserable, I'm not healthy, right? Yes, I'm there for my family, but am I really? If I don't take care of my health and I'm constantly sick and it's within my control to get healthy again, then I'm not in balance and I'm not successful. Success is not money. Success is the balance between everything in your life. Success is walking away every day saying that was a good day. Maybe not every day, but the majority of the days in the year, you should feel like it was worth it. And if you don't, you're just wasting that life. You're wishing it away. I used, I'm a, I used to fall prey to this all the time. I'll be happy when I get the job out of college. I'll be happy when I go to college. I'll be happy when I get the promotion. I'll be happy when I, when I, when I. I was never happy. Now I'm happy. And yes, there's a lot of people that can say I'm happy because I don't have to worry about money anymore, but you're wrong. I worry about money more than I ever did before until I realized that it's within my control to make that money. It's a resource. It's not about the money, it's about the effort, purpose, and the balance. Long answer. I think the One word. Yeah, in a great answer. I think the curse of, we'll call it entrepreneurs, maybe the hustle, the hustle and grind culture, whatever we could throw it in. I think one of the curses that we have today is that we have this addiction to, I'll, I'll say two things, addiction to more and tomorrow. We interviewed someone not too long ago, Chris Maroff, that said, I was addicted to tomorrow. And then a few years ago, we interviewed Mark Whitaker, who was the basis for that movie, The Informant, that Matt Damon, and he said he was addicted to more. And, and you know what? I recognized in myself the same thing. And a lot of the people, that's why they need the business therapist. That's why they need the coach is because sometimes we don't recognize it. I think we think life is, there's this destination, this place that we're going to get to but really it's this journey. How do we measure balance? Because I think the way we're wired, Darren, the way you and I are wired and a lot of people listening in is that we will get to this place and we will look around and we'll get a balance trophy or a balance, a, a balance certificate or something. But it, it's, it really is something that is not, I don't want to say it's not tangible, but how do you know when you're close to it or getting there or in a place? Is it just happy days? Days are good? I mean, we can make a glass trophy for everything, right? And anything. You'll hear me or you'll see it on my posts. I often mock that because I was the recipient of many a glass trophy of 
I, you will hear me say a line like, if you're sitting at your desk, staring at your glass trophy, wondering where your life went wrong, this message is for you, right? The reality is it is intangible. My balance is completely different than yours. Just like my list of success will be different than yours. For me, it's health first because it's hard to be happy if you're unhealthy. And sometimes you just get some bad luck and it sucks. Steve Jobs was not a happy person when he was unhealthy, especially, right? It's if you're not happy, it's hard to be healthy because we do know that stress raises cortisol levels and that starts eroding your cells, right? So it's really personal to you. If I ask you, are you having more happy days than not? If I say, are you healthy? Are you doing things to be healthy? Are you, you don't have to diet, just eat smaller portions. We're Americans, we eat too much, right? I don't eat healthy in any way, shape or form. Last night I had Wendy's, kids, Wendy's. Did I eat all the Wendy's? No, but I ate Wendy's. But then maybe tomorrow I'll have a salad for lunch or something smaller. So I'm mindful of what I'm eating. But then I go to the gym every day or I hike or I go to a boxing class. Why? Because I love doing it. I'm not going to do something I don't love doing, but it's balance. I don't know. There's no number. Just like I said, how much money is enough? I have a billionaire friend. I ask him, at what point? When's it enough? And he always says to me, it's never enough. Because it's ego. Sorry to my friend if he's listening to this, but it's pure ego and greed. Maybe. Maybe. He runs in a pool, a circle of billionaires. They're always taking out their rulers and measuring, right? But it might be more. He just loves winning. He knows he's never going to run out of money, but he loves winning. Is he happy? Yes, with that. Is he always present for his family? No. If I asked him if he's successful, he'll absolutely say yes, based on a monetary definition. But if I was evaluating his life at the pearly gates, I'd probably say his kids need a little more time with him. Maybe I won't tell him to tune into this one, but actually, you know what? I'm going to tell him this all. Yeah, and it's fine. We invite him in because, I mean, it's measurable. I get it. You can measure that money piece very easily. It's hard to measure. That's why I asked the question. It's hard to measure you know, joy, happiness, you know, time with kids. Yeah, you can measure the hours you're there, but if you've got a phone in your hand, even if you're at the park with them, you know, that's a bit of a challenge. I want to transition. I, I, Go I ahead. Want, I want to just add this. Everyone is very different. I am very well aware there are some people that hate their kids. I get it. There are moments where I think it and sometimes I mutter it. Okay. Not everyone must be the greatest parent in the world. This advice isn't for them, right? So what I'm saying, everything has an opposite to what I'm saying. These are not fixed targets for everyone. If you don't like your family and you consider them the worst thing in the world and you don't want to fix that, then that's not your success measure. That's not your balance. I just want to make sure that it's understood that I'm not telling you to do something to find purpose and balance. Do what works for you to find purpose and balance. I think that's the most powerful thing that definitely people in our shoes can say, Darren, is everyone's success has to be their own. In other words, you and I could probably sit here and rattle off three, five, seven steps to do this, blah, 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 do this, do this. But yet those, I'm getting less dogmatic <laughs> as I age and mature. <laughs> And I'm kind of saying the bottom line is you need to find what works for you and your balance and your success. And I'm watching my time here, but I want to finish up with a few things here. At some point, Christy, who our wives or our spouses will say our partners are often the ones that know us best and can give us the guidance the best. At some point, Christy looked at you and either gave you a swift kick or a gentle hug or a kiss and said, Darren, you're going to have to get out and go do something. And you went out and took a hike. And did you already have what you call now the business therapy um, brand? I guess I'll call it that. Because it seemed to me like those mesh together. The t you know, I took a hike and business therapy sort of go together. Talk briefly in our last few minutes here about those two things. And then we'll wrap up and let people know how they connect with you. So business therapy sure. and I took a hike. Sure. So after I exited a company that acquired us, I started a consulting practice and it was Christy when I was telling her what I was doing. She's like, oh, you're like a therapist for business, a business therapist. So that no looking back when you get the spark, you run with it. She's a genius, far better than I will ever be. And I'm not just saying that she's very smart. Right. 
So I had that going, but that paused completely during COVID so I could focus on living and life and, and not you know being eaten by this invisible bug. The hiking came after that. And I've just applied the things that I've always been, been doing my whole life. I've always been observant of other people. I can read people very well. And I pay attention to situations of emotions and how people engage and interact. And I apply that to business to help partnerships and business owners, like I said, get out from under the rock that they created. Most challenges in business were created by the inexperience of the business owner, not an insult. But if you're a CEO in a startup company calling yourself CEO, you have no idea what a CEO does because a CEO doesn't belong in a startup small business. A business owner does. The CEO protects shareholder value for shareholders, delegates, elevates. You're a startup business. You don't have that. You're a business owner. Own a business, grow a business turn into a CEO as the business grows. I didn't know that either. I called myself a CEO. I bought the plaque. It was really cool. High five moment to myself. I didn't know what a CEO was until I went to school to learn business, to learn how to read a P&L, to learn how to protect shareholder value, right? The business therapy that I do combines all of that experiential wisdom, training, knowledge, and the emotions of being a business owner, especially the heightened frustration anxiety, depression, and pain. Do you enjoy the, I'll call it inspiring and interacting therapy that you're doing now more than you did when you were actually applying and head down inside of a business? Because I do. I really enjoy being that outside looking in instead of the businesses and all that I ran. What, how do you look at those? So it's different timelines. Uh, when I was in my 20s and 30s, I loved being finally a CEO. I loved going to the trade shows and having the meetings and being the person that people would turn to. Not an ego thing. I just liked being that person at that time. Now, yes, I love helping other people win and succeed. I love the inspiration. In fact, I'll say I effing love it. I love what I do. I genuinely do it. It's this is not a huge payday. I don't make anywhere near what I made as a business owner and a CEO or as the executive of a of Fortune 500. Now we're even close. Again, it's not about money. It's about the purpose and the balance for me. So I genuinely love what I do. I select my client, not in an elite or arrogant way, but I work with clients that I know are willing to grow, are willing to take knowledge and run with it, are willing to make changes I love their businesses. I see opportunity in their businesses. That's advice I give to all my clients is you always want to select a consultant, a coach, business therapist, a mentor that doesn't need you as a client. If they need you as a client, they're already giving you the wrong advice because they're going to bill you per hour and try to get as much out of you. That relationship will last the average of five months. You want to find someone that doesn't need you as a client. They want to work with you. They want to help you and vice versa. And that is a recipe for success. I've always had business mentors, coaches in my life. That's why I share some of their knowledge and I pass it, I pay it forward to my clients. Yeah, that's very common in the coaching world is that people are coaching, coaching for the dollar. And I think it compromises quite a bit. So that's, I really love you sharing that. Darren, where can people connect with you? And then I've got one more question before we wrap up. So give all your coordinates so that people can listen in. We'll include it down below, but where can people connect with you? So I love the coordinate approach. I took a hike.com, uh, or you can listen to it on Spotify podcasts or Apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, uh, LinkedIn, it's Darren Mass. You can find me there. I post six days, sometimes seven days a week. I love it. Uh, if you like it, follow, share, comment. I always engage. I always reply. It's, sometimes it takes longer due to the volume, but I will always reply. Um, businesstherapygroup.com, all of the above and some. Very good. Yeah, I love what you're doing over LinkedIn. I think that's what drew me to you. That's where I was saying, okay, he's talking some of our language over there. We need to connect. Darren, we are seek. Go create those three words. I'm going to let you choose one, seek, go, or create. Which do you choose that resonates the most with you right now and why? Seek, because when you stop learning is the moment you are dying. And I have experienced that part and I am ready to continue to seek. 
Awesome. Darren Mass, thank you for joining us here at Seek Go Create. I highly recommend that you go as soon as you finish up here and follow, subscribe, whatever you do on your podcast player to I Took a Hike. I've listened to some of them. It's phenomenal. It's great. It's a, it's a, it's similar messages. If you're listening in here, you need to go over there because we're talking the same language. You won't need a translator. We are Seek Go Create here, releasing new episodes every Monday. Your support means the world to us. Now you can tip us, buy me a coffee, or offer financial support at seekgocreate.com forward slash support. Contributions start at just a dollar, and if you leave a comment, we'll feature you on a future episode. Visit seekgocreate.com forward slash support and give us a tip. Until next time. <laughs>